We are focusing this morning on the family of God. The family of God. And we looked last, or yesterday as we were uh, out there, we had people from our church. We had people from a church in Tempe, people from a church in Mesa, uh, people from a church in Glendale. Uh, we have people from different churches, young people that came and participated with us. And, and we had a lot of fun. I didn't do any of the crazy things. I sat and read a book or walked around. But they, they had a lot of fun. And they were bouncing and swinging and hanging and, and being flung into the pit. All sorts of fun things that they enjoyed. Uh, but it's nice to remind ourselves that the family of faith is not just this group. Now, anyone in here who has asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive their sins, who has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, anyone in this room who has done that is my brother or sister in Christ. We're family. But the family of God is a whole lot bigger than this assembly of people. Aren't you glad? Wouldn't it be sad if this was it on planet Earth? Uh, but as we uh, take our Bibles in Ephesians chapter 3, and as we look in this passage, uh, we are going to be reminded to think about the family of God. And, and so the first thing I want you to imagine or to think about is we need to be aware how big the family of God might be. We get this idea that the family of God is small. And I don't believe these statistics because I think people have a misguided understanding of what it means to be a Christian. There are a lot of people who think they're a Christian because they have some connection to a church of some kind that is supposedly a Christian church. But according to a survey, those people who are connected to a church in some way, 84% of Americans believe they're Christians. I think that's high. I think a lot of them are trusting in their church or their family history or all that. But do you realize that there are millions of Christians in America? In fact, in China last year, more than a million people became a Christian. God is at work. Amazing things are happening. And we're part of this. And so in Ephesians chapter 3, and it will begin in verse number 14, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So when we talk about the family of God, how many of you have family members in heaven who knew the Lord, they're with the Lord in heaven? How many of you have family members there? Yeah, they're part of this awesome family of God. We can't see them now. We, I mean, you, I hear people, they say, well, I talk to them. Well, I don't talk to my mom. I think about things I'd love to share with my mom, but I don't talk to her. I... Uh, did ask the Lord once to please let my mom know something, <laughs> and maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, but but they're, they're part of the same family, and all around the world, people are part of the same family. It's those on in heaven and on earth, we are named by the name of God. Now, not everybody who is a believer, a genuine believer, not everyone is in a good church. 
There's some poor churches that actually distract you from what God wants to do in your life because they don't focus on the Word of God. Not everyone who's in church is a believer. But if you are, then you're part of this amazing assembly of people. You have brothers and sisters you couldn't pronounce their name or the city they live in or have a conversation with them in any significant way. I Honestly, I don't know what it's going to be like in heaven, but I really hope it's like this, that we all still speak the native language that we had on planet Earth, but we understand each other. I, I would love somebody to speak to me in whatever the language they speak in Azerbaijan. Don't you, isn't that a cool name? We live in Kazakhstan. You can live in Azerbaijan. But, but whatever language they speak, I'd love to have them speak to me in that language, have me understand and speak to them in English and have them understand. It would be amazing. Don't know what it's going to be like. But they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God will give us the capacity to interact and love. And, and uh, we, we can do that on earth. But we will do that in heaven. In fact, uh, one Sunday years ago, uh, I had different people still. And, and Mark and, and Alma, didn't you guys speak in Telugu? One spoke in it and one translated. And, and we had one do it in uh, Welsh and one translate. One do it in Spanish and one translate. Just, just to remind ourselves that, that God is the God of everybody who will receive him and trust in him. So this whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then look in verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of what? According to the riches of his glory. How big are the riches of his glory? Well, you know, when he wanted to give us a little glimpse of his glory, he said something like this. Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. And trillions of stars were spoken into existence with that simple phrase. The riches of his glory... We can't comprehend it. In fact, I was reminded this week, I was up in Cholo. Kathy was able to go with me Friday. We went up there and I saw my sisters and my dad, more importantly. I love my sisters, but my dad's not doing well, so I don't have many more times in the future to be able to see my dad. And and, uh, he's at the point where he's not really conversing very much. He responded to me a couple times, but he only responded to Kathy once, and and, you know, it, it, it's what it is. He knows the Lord. He's going to be with the Lord. And if God doesn't perform a miracle and raise him up, I hope he takes him home without pain. Uh, that's my prayer concern for him. But for some reason, when my dad's pastor came by, which, you know, I'm Pastor Green. He's Pastor Brown. That, that just was kind of funny. And, and by the way, he asked about you guys, said, when are you coming up again? So uh, Jim and Cloyce were up in church there with him. But Pastor Brown was there. For some reason, my sister decided to tell a story on me to this other pastor who was there. And it wasn't pleasant. I wasn't the best of kids. But isn't it great that God can save people? And no matter where we were, some of you were, were already nice people, right? When you got saved, you were already nice people. Some of you got saved so long, you, young, you hadn't made a mess of your life. But, but listen, what Jesus does, he reaches down and saves sinners, and he saves them 
to the uttermost. So that I am just as saved as somebody else who was a great kid. And we got saved exactly the same way by calling on the Lord Jesus Christ and asking us Him to forgive our sins and save our souls. And He did. And so this whole family is named by Him. And Paul's wanting that He would grant you according to His riches and glory that you might be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. God has the capacity to put inside you this strength and capacity that you can overcome sins that have plagued you for years because the Holy Spirit of God can work in your heart and life. That you, maybe you were grumpy pants and now you can become cheerful. Maybe you were goofball and now you can become more serious. God can change and do a radical work inside you because He's awesome God. And, and the world is filled, the universe is filled with His glory. But the crowning touch of all creation was not when He made those stars out there burning brightly in the night sky. The crowning touch of all creation was when He made humanity. And in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ said, the value of your soul is worth more than the whole world. Because God loves people. And not just people in general. He loves you. I don't remember who it was. Sent me this comic. And it said, uh, this guy is saying to this kid, you have a face only a mother could love. And the kid says back, thanks a lot, Dad. (laughs) My dad used to say that to my brothers and I when we were kids. But, but see, you have a face God the Father could love. You have a heart God the Father could love. You have a mind God the Father could love. You have emotions God the Father could love. He loves and he draws you to trust and believe in his son so that you can be part of his family. We got to show my dad pictures of my dad as James Green goes by Jim. We got to show him pictures of William James Green, who was just born. And Dad thought it was great. He, he nodded at the pictures, and, and he's excited. Uh, in fact, when my sister showed him the first picture a couple of weeks ago, Dad's like, hey, I like that name, you know, uh, William James. But, but we all, when you look at other people, what you need to realize is they have an imprint of the Father in their life because humanity was created in God's image. They may not be a believer, But you look at them, you say, there's an imprint that God put there, and maybe they haven't trusted Christ yet. But when we think people are beyond hope, Christ says, they're mine, and we we can get saved. The Apostle Paul was beyond hope, and he got saved. Um, Billy Sunday was a drunken bum by his own definition, and he staggered into a church on Christmas Eve, flopped down into a chair, and on Christmas morning received Christ as his Savior. And he became an evangelist, reaching millions for Christ in America and Europe. Because God can radically change lives. So you're not stuck. 
You're not in a ditch. You're not underwater. God is in control. And so that He would grant you according to His riches and glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in your inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You say, well, I'm already a Christian. What does He mean? That Christ may dwell in your heart. Well, I'll tell you what He means is that dwelling is more than living. If you're a believer and you have received Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit lives inside you. But the Bible says you can frustrate the Holy Spirit, you can quench the Holy Spirit, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is there's this richness of fellowship between you and Christ. And that's what he wants to see in your life. And see, and that's one, by the way, one of the tools the Holy Spirit uses. I'm the church. The Holy Spirit uses the church to be one of those tools to help you work this out in your life. And on the front of your bulletin, there's, there's a set of verses from Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, think about one another, um, in order to stir up to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So one of the tools the Holy Spirit uses to help Christ dwell richly in you is to be part of an assembly of faith, to be part of a group of believers, to come to the Bible class and learn and grow, to participate in the church services and, and sing together and worship. And in fact, um, over the last three weeks, uh, different people have told me that somebody in this church was an encouragement in their heart and life. And three different people have told me that. And none of the three were talking about me. They were talking about one of you. That you, one of you, were an encouragement and a strength and a help to them. Because we have this family connection in the Father, but we're also connected in this assembly as the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't treat your commitment to the family of faith lightly, and don't treat your commitment to the church lightly. My pastor used to frequently say, the best abilities you can have are availability and dependability. He said, if you have those two things, we can train you to do anything else. But you have to have those. So we need the spiritual strength. Our culture is obsessed with the outer person, right? The, the people everyone wants to be like. They want to be like this beautiful woman or that handsome man. and uh, Everybody has that. And, and they have all kinds of surveys. And, and who's the best looking? And who, You know, God has a survey too. And God says the best looking one's the one who looks like his son from the inside out. And when we walk with the Lord and we walk with Christ and the Holy Spirit's in us, it's not that God ignores the outer person, but he looks beyond the outside all the way to the heart. And when he looks at your heart, if he sees his son, he rejoices. 
So we need to be genuine believers who are focused on Christ. The, what's the difference between a house and a home? The difference is it becomes a home when you make it your dwelling place. Your, your artworks on the wall or pictures of your kids or both. Sometimes you can do artistic things to pictures of kids. Uh, you, okay. I was picturing drawing a mustache on. Some of you are thinking, art. My artwork is stick figures. But, but you, you have some pictures on the wall. You have a chair in your place. You got the refrigerator. It has stuff that you want in it. You know, when you wake up in the morning and the house is a little dark, you can find your way around because it's your place. You know where that is from your bed, where, where the ba- what direction the bathroom is. You know, you know the hallway. You know it, it, you are dwelling there. And so it, it's your space. And so what he's saying is Christ is supposed to dwell in your heart so that he's comfortable inside you. He's not frustrated. He's not sad. He's comfortable. And I don't mean comfortable in the sense of lazy, sitting in your recliner chair, ignoring the world go by. But, but there's a comfort level that you and he have this camaraderie. You know what they say about good friends? The best friends, you can be quiet together and enjoy each other's company. Because you just, just have that relationship there. You don't have to tell stories. You just connect, just being together. And so Christ is to dwell in you is a, a fullness, a comfortableness, a connectedness that comes when we regularly focus our thoughts on Jesus Christ. That Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. See, what Christ wants is you to be anchored in love so that his love is flowing out of your life so you can show love to other people because of his great love that's flowing out through you so that you're rooted and grounded in love. And then he says in verse 18, that you then may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height. So some people think all God wants is for you to love him. You know, the Bible says that Jesus said the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. The second greatest is, is love others as yourself. And he said, on this hangs all the law and the prophets. And then Paul wrote in Romans 13 that that this love is bigger than all of the other laws and all the prophets. But what God doesn't say is, hey, the only thing you need is love. Because he's saying here, love and growing. Love and understanding. Love and comprehending. So, When Jesus gave the challenge to the church, he didn't say, listen, the only thing you have to do is go love people. He said, make disciples, baptize them, teach them all things that I have commanded. So he wants us to be able to comprehend. Now, when you have a baby, that baby needs to feel loved. 
In fact, you, you can tell the look of babies when they feel loved, can't you? You just look at that little baby and say, oh, that baby feels loved. They, they have a fullness, a satisfiedness. There's, in their eyes, there's a sparkle. And, and you could tell they get lots of love. So we start with love, right? But then that baby needs to learn some understanding, right? I mean, it's almost cute when, when little, little kids do dumb stuff, right? But it's not cute when big, big kids do dumb stuff, is it? You want them to grow. You want a comprehension there, and so does God. So he says that you'd be rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints, not just the senior saints, with all the saints, even the kids who have trusted Christ, that we can comprehend and learn and grow. And uh, I read one guy, he said, the breath, breadth extends to all people. The length extends over all time. Uh, its depth extends to the lowest condition of human need, and its height extends to the highest heavens. That we could comprehend what God is doing on planet Earth. Now, some of what God does is beyond our understanding. Isaiah 55 says that. That God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't follow everything. But, but we need to see and rejoice and understand God as he revealed himself through his word so we can follow and learn and grow and mature. And then he says in verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To have this loving relationship with Jesus Christ that we would be filled with him and have the fullness of God to experientially know the love of Christ. Some people, they get saved and when they get saved, when they receive Christ as their Savior, they know that God loves them and that Christ died for them and that their sins are forgiven. And then as they go on in life, they do something else dumb or bad. How many of you, after you've got saved, have done at least one thing dumb or bad, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and I know some of you are going like, ah, ah, I can't count them all. Okay, but, but listen, you get the idea that God doesn't love you as much because you're a disobedient child. I was a disobedient child. My siblings remind me of it frequently. But I had parents who still loved me. And they were human. They only had the human capacity for love. And at Christmas, I still got gifts. Not because I was a good kid. I got gifts because I was loved. And God the Father loves with a God love that's way bigger than human love. And God loves you even when you sin. He may be disappointed in your behavior, but he loves you. And so he wants us to have this loving relationship. Some of you have had marriages that didn't work out so well. And, and you've maybe remarried and, and that's worked out well. But, but see, when you see there's some people that just have a lifelong love marriage. And, and there's something special about that. I don't know, one year, how many people did we, they had 60th 
wedding anniversaries? Four, four people. Four couples. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Only one of the two couples. The other was like, man, I can't believe I've been stuck with him for sixty years. But no, the four couples who were celebrating being married over sixty years. I remember doing a funeral for a lady, and she and her husband had been married, I think, for seventy-three years or seventy-two years. And because they got married young, and he was ninety-seven or ninety-eight when he died, and and. After his funeral, I'm sitting and talking to her. She looks at me and said, why did God take him so soon? <laughs> I thought, oh, man, you know, none of my relatives have been married that long. They always had one die. And even my parents, they had 56 years, but mom went to be with the Lord. So, you know, stuff happens like that. But it's special when you can see that. My great-grandparents, they, they loved each other. They held hands everywhere. They, they smiled when they saw each other. When, when he came home, he was a pastor, and when he would come home and she was puttering around the kitchen, didn't matter what she was doing, she went up for a hug and a kiss from Grandpa when he got there. We know what love looks like from a human perspective but we're blown away by what love looks like from a divine perspective. And, and see, God's desire is for you to have a love connection with Christ, that you know Him, that you listen to Him, that you follow Him, that you hang out with Him in private devotions and prayer time, and, and you get together with other people and celebrate Him like we're doing here, that we need to be filled with the love of Christ to experientially know what it is to be one who is loved by the infinite and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our lives. And so he says, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When the Holy Spirit is inside you, you have God in you. But when you are filled with the Spirit, then you have the fullness of God, this connection with God in, a, in an amazing way. And then in verse 20, he talks about God's capacity to amaze and astound us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And amen is not just the end of the prayer. It's, I affirm this, I agree with this, I connect with God on this. So we need to realize that God is at work in our lives in a mighty way. In 1972, no, 19, 1969, my family moved from Nebraska uh, to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and we visited a church, and we ended up not joining that church. We visited three or four different churches, and, and then the last church we visited, my parents just, this is the place. Dad said, man, I wish we'd visited this one first. But one of the other churches we visited, their pastor came down with cancer. And I, I shared this with you guys before, but 
I think it was about 1970, and the doctors gave him six weeks to live. Christians all around the world started praying for him. And as they prayed for him, God did an amazing work. He went back to the doctors. The doctors pronounced him cancer-free. That was 1970. In 1976, I was at youth camp. He was a speaker. I got saved. The one who should have been dead, but wasn't. In 2007, I was at a pastor's fellowship in Phoenix, and there he was. God can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. And yet sometimes we don't want to be disappointed, right? We understand God knows better than we do. So we pray incremental prayers so that if God doesn't answer, it's okay. We can live with that. And I think sometimes what God wants is for us to answer, to ask big, audacious prayers. And God can do it like when Elijah prayed that God would dry up the heavens and it didn't rain for three and a half years. God wants people to ask those kinds of prayers. Because he's awesome God with this awesome ability and he's just waiting to show himself strong on our behalf. And so we, we, we incrementally... You know, and even when we ask something big, we always close it with, if, if that's your will, Father. And, and that's okay. Even Jesus in the garden prayed, not my will, but thine. But God wants us to pray with an expectancy that we're praying to an awesome God who cares and is involved and connected in our daily lives. So he has this abundance. We need to pray knowing that God is at work in our lives and knowing that God is able and that he can easily do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. So that when the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they take that next step and there's water flowing by and the priests go to put their foot down on the water and instead of stepping down in the water, the water's gone. And instead of stepping in mud, they step on dry land. And the Israelites walked across the Jordan River. Because God said, that raging river, if you've been to Israel, the Jordan River is really not much. Unless you happen to be there at flood season. It's kind of like the, the Gila River up here. Is that what it is under the bridge? And, you know, you look at that, you drive over the Gila River. On a really good day, you can see puddles down there. Most of the time, it's just sand, right? But in flood season, uh, that river has taken out one of those interstate bridges, just toppled the whole bridge, ripped it out of its moorings. Uh, And so it was flood season when they stepped out into that river, and it was instantly dry land. God could take the whole universe that rotates in a regular order The earth is rotating, the the sun and the solar system has revolution, and the the, uh, galaxies have movement, and all the universe has movement, and God can turn time backward. He can stop time. He suspended the earth's revolution, rotation, 
And it stayed day for more than a day to bring the victory to Israel. God can do big, huge things. And I think sometimes I tend to be a very practical person. And so I, in my brain, I always have second best, you know? Well, I want to do that, but that'll be okay. You know, we have this margin we'll live with. And as long as it's in that margin. And what God wants to do is blow the top off our margin and show himself mighty and strong on our behalf. And, and we, we should glorify God in the church. The next verse says, verse 21, To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. Uh, in a couple of weeks, Kathy and I are going to be flying to Michigan to meet our ninth grandchild. And we were talking with somebody up there, and they said, Nine grandkids? Wow! Well, Pastor Brown's sister has, right, wasn't it her sister? Pastor Brown's wife's sister had 11 kids. And uh, of those, most of those kids, one died, I don't remember how, but the 10 that left, they all had five or six kids. One of them had eight. So... Her grandkids are bigger than our auditorium would hold, you know, and it just fl- overflowing. And and Rikosi's have like eighty or something like that, and and Jean Polly has more than that, you know. It, it it's amazing. But but God's at work, and God can do this through all generations. So some of you have grandkids and kids, or kids, grandkids, great grandkids. We're not there yet, although our grandkids are pretty great, right? But um, we, you, you have these layers that you know, and as you pray for those kids, and sometimes the situation they're in seems hopeless because their parents are kind of discouraging them from following God, and maybe more than kind of, maybe they're actually setting a bad example and instruction that's driving them away from God. But guess what God can do? God can take the grandchild or the great-grandchild. We saw it in Israel, right? We saw there there was a godly king, and he had a son who was rebellious and turned people away from God. And then that son died, and the grandson became king, and he followed God. We, God can do that in every generation. And so we pray that he would show himself mighty, not just in the church now, but to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We rejoice in what God will do. Because we serve an awesome God who, who has brought us into his family, who has made us part of what he is doing on planet earth. And I, I want to walk through a couple of verses in chapter 4 just to really connect with what should be our response to what God is doing. Chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul was one of the greatest apologists in history to explain and defend the Christian faith. He was a man who had started more churches than anybody knows and anybody else has ever done. He's the man who reached nations for Christ. And he calls himself 
the prisoner of the Lord. He, he is submitting because God is so big. His view of the Lord was so big, he saw himself for the reality that he was very, very small. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Walk worthy. When you are called into belief and you receive and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and then you're called into ministry, you are a servant of God, a saint of God, serving in ministry for God. And so walk worthy of that. Don't just say, well, you know, we were talking about spiritual gifts and, well, that's not my gift. So I can't do that. The offering plate comes around. Oh, I don't have the gift of giving. You, know, you can do great things in God. God can do great things through you if you're willing to let him. And he says, so with, with then in verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another. You need to be characterized by lowliness or humbleness. You have a high calling, but you're to live it out with humility. And by the way, the people or preachers who tell people, oh, you need to be like me, follow me, they're scary people. God's the big one. And what you're supposed to do as a Sunday school teacher, a wanna leader, a good news leader, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to point people to Jesus. Look at our awesome God. Come with me. Follow him. And rejoice in him. A lowliness, a humbleness. God could use angels, but he's chosen to use you. That should humble us. A a gentleness and a meekness. Never pushing yourself forward, but happily caring and ministering to others. A long-sufferingness. That's a great word, actually. Some of the newer translation change it and just patience. Long suffering is way better, right? You put up with people, right? Long suffering. I've known people to be in a bad marriage. And it, it's hard and it's challenging and it's difficult. But sometimes, actually every time, if both people will commit to the Lord, God will do a great work in that marriage. And you know what? Sometimes we annoy each other. I, I, you guys annoy each other. I know I never annoy you, right? right? But sometimes you guys annoy each other, right? Hey, in the best of marriages, there's a rub sometimes, right? And sometimes guys think things are funny. Their wives don't think are very funny. Any of you ever experienced that in your marriage? (laughs) Tim was shaking his head no, and Missy looked at him like, what? (laughs) You know, it happens. It happens. Sorry if I embarrassed you, Tim. No, I'm not. I did it on purpose. But but listen, we we need to realize that, that we have to put up with each other. And you know what happens? Oh, is there anyone here? Oh, there is a Johnny here. Anybody here named Hubert? Okay. So, so Hubert gets offended at somebody, and he's mad at somebody. So he can't go to church and see that person, so he goes off to another church. The problem is, 
that church now has Hubert. And so they're going to have problems, right? It's like John Maxwell once said, everywhere you go, there you go. And so if you don't deal with it appropriately, then you're going to carry it with you. So no church is perfect. No person is perfect. No marriage is perfect. No relationship is perfect. But God takes the imperfect people who bear with one another to do amazing things of his grace and his goodness. So long-suffering, giving people the benefit of the doubt, not being easily angered or frustrated, bearing with one another. We're called and committed to be putting up with each other for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why do we do this? Well, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's a unity when we're all trying to follow the Lord. We seek to get along, not to get our own way, but for the sake of the Lord and the gospel, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit who desires us to work together for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We are forever linked as God's family. So we're doing a series on following spiritual priorities. And what you need to do as part of God's family is realize you have an opportunity and an obligation to represent Jesus Christ in the community where you live or wherever you travel. You remember when, when Moses went up to the burning bush, what did the Lord say to Moses? Take off your shoes. Why? You're standing on holy ground. Well, let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit of God is inside you, everywhere your foot goes is holy ground. The Holy Spirit is with you. Everywhere you go, you're supposed to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're supposed to be in a committed assembly of believers, worshiping God and celebrating Christ and growing and maturing, and where you have the opportunity to fulfill the obligation of forbearing and encouraging and comforting and the things that God wants us to be doing to each other. And you're not supposed to come to church and see, well, I wonder who's going to talk to me today. You're supposed to come to church thinking, I wonder who I get to encourage today. It's a completely different perspective. And you're supposed to have this desire to have a close, personal friendship with Jesus Christ, that he may dwell in you. So this place is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a place of worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just me and my desires and my wants. We, we are an assembly of believers who are chosen by God and empowered by God to do great things for God. And this morning doesn't feel like we've done that big of a thing, does it? What'd you do this morning? You got up. Hopefully you showered last night or this morning, right? You, you came 
maybe ate breakfast, little egg and bacon, good stuff. And then you come to church. Maybe you've talked with somebody beforehand. Maybe during the handshaking time you had more than a, hey, how you doing, but a, a little bit of a connection with somebody. But see, what we've done is we have exalted Jesus Christ in song. We have allowed our neighbors to see a testimony of us heading off to church. We have allowed our cars to be out there in the parking lot. If people drove by, they could see your car. Uh, that we have had a testimony that we follow Jesus here. And, and we've sung songs that have worshipped him. And we've listened to his word. Because we are connecting with omnipotence. And then when we go from this place, if you happen to be going out to eat, leave one of the cards for the church. They're on the table in the back. Invite people to church. Leave that card and leave a generous tip. You can impact people through your life every single day. Because you work with a God who can take little things like five little loaves and two fishes and feed a multitude with 12 baskets left over. God can take the little bit that you have that you do and make a big difference for his honor and his glory and someday for your eternal reward because he's awesome God.